super excited for this episode. I'm calling it a bonus episode maybe or a, I don't know, a treat in the middle of the fall. Um, So yeah, I had a chance. I'm finishing up my coaching classes this fall. I can't believe I've been doing this for, oh my gosh, nine months now. And I have met, as you heard this summer, if you had a chance to listen to the Summer of Coaching series, I have met so many amazing people and it's just, I'm so grateful to have added these individuals um, to my network and it's just been so fun coaching with them, getting to know them, hearing their stories and I've also had a chance, so so I've had peers in my classes and then one of the wonderful, one of the many wonderful things about these coaching classes is in addition to the instructors, so it's co-instructors, oftentimes the instructors will invite <clears throat> you know, certified coaches or coaches who have been through the training already to serve as assistant coaches. And so they offer their perspective, their strategies, they do some coaching as well. So we get to practice with these these folks. And the guest that you're going to hear today, I met her back in, I want to say May or June. She was one of the assistant coaches, Sonia. And I remember coaching with her the first time and Her demeanor, her approach, her powerful questions, her leaning in and really listening just really struck me. Um, You know, she's just one of those people that has a presence about her that was just, I don't know, I just, I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just, again, so appreciative that she is, um, you know, I, I can call her a friend and colleague. And so I've been wanting to sit down with her. She is a very busy um, person, family, biz, you know, coaching business, working at Anne Arundel Community College as well. And so <clears throat> we were finally able to align our calendars. And so the interview that follows is our discussion um, around her coaching and her journey. And so here is a, um, you know, another taste of coaching and I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski, and I am super excited. For those of you who had a chance to listen to my summer of coaching, um, you probably know I talked to a lot of amazing coaches that I've met along the, my way and my journey, so to speak. And I never got the chance to nail down this busy woman who has agreed to be on the podcast today, Sonia Gladwin. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I am so, so happy to have Sonia on. Sonia is um, may, miles ahead of me in the coaching journey, so I'm really looking forward to listening and learning, and I've had a chance in my own coaching classes to really lo- learn from Sonia. We did some one-on-ones together, and you always give such good feedback, so it really is a privilege to have you here today. You are gracious. 
Oh, well, I'm being honest, being honest. So, so just as a little background, Sonia is a training and coaching professional with over 20 years of experience in all aspects of employee and organizational development. She specializes in advising corporations on training strategies, implementing organizational change, and coaching individuals and groups on achieving their professional and personal goals. Currently, Sonia serves as the director of corporate training group at Anne Arundel Community College and is the founder and chief coaching officer of Grayspace Consulting, LLC. I love that. I love that name, Grayspace, by the way. I think that's very, very cool. Sonia holds a master's of science in organization development and human resource management from Johns Hopkins, a bachelor's of science in corporate communication from the University of Baltimore, and an engagement coaching certificate from Anne Arundel Community College. So very experienced and very well trained in all things coaching and and support, right? Yeah, we try to keep it fun. (laughs) Yes, you do try to keep it fun. Um, For the listeners, Sonia, do you want to give your uh, web address? Because I didn't have that written down. Um, yeah, you can um, find um, Grayspace, um, Grayspace Consulting. You can look that up. Or yep. um, you can also go to my scheduler in Acuity. Um, it's Grayspace um, there as well. And um, Facebook, um, you can either look me up, Sonia Gladwin, on LinkedIn or, or Facebook, and Perfect. you can find it there as well. Awesome. Awesome. So, so as you know, Sonia, I asked you to come on, um, you know, partly because I didn't have a chance to talk to you or interview you this summer around your coaching. And as I shared with you, um, my colleague and I, Daniel Scarano, have been interviewing leaders around leadership and paradox and belonging. And so I thought you're sort of in, you're not sort of, you are in both of those spaces. And so I thought, what a cool way to sort of connect the summer to the fall. And so just to start us off, I was really hoping that you could share with our listeners, what was your first experience with coaching, informal or formal? So I, you know, it's an interesting question because Mm. I think there's different coaching definitions, which is also what we deal with when we talk about, you know, coaching a person right in in their lives. If you have a life coach or an engagement coach, um, you know, really simply, I think typically a lot of us experience coaching through sports, right? That's Mm. how you think about coaching. Um, and that's probably my earliest, um, recollection. And I think the best coaches of sports, um, you know, start to find what burns inside of you Mm. and then helps you go. It's not the person that says run another, you know, (laughs) hundred yards or another mile. And, and, you know, you'll be a better athlete. It's like, why do you want to play? What, what makes you want to be here? Mm. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I think you're right. The, the best coaches I remember growing up, I had a field hockey coach that I think you just described her to a T, right? I mean, of course, don't get me wrong. She made us do sprints and she crushed us with all of the drills, but she really did care about sort of, you know, what was going on with us personally. So I think you're right. Um, You mentioned also this sort of, you know, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I think I heard you say is sort of the challenge and opportunity around this definition of coaching. And so a natural second question was really, what does, what does coaching mean to you, both in your work and sort of in your own work with coaches and being coached yourself? Yeah, I think that's a natural, 
you know, how do you define it? Because um, yeah. through my experience in doing so much training and development, coaching was always more performance based. Mm. It was how do you get, you know, people to perform at a higher level or do more pieces or um, bring things to, um, to their consciousness in order to help them to uh, perform better in some way, shape or form. And, you know, with a very um, plain definition of coaching and, and working with people, it's helping them find their internal motivation and their connecting of the dots. And so taking some of the mentoring components out of the coaching, mm. um, taking some of the direction out of it and helping people be a little bit more self-directed. So coaching now um, and it's been a journey um, for me and it continues to be. So ask me like in another year, it might <laughs> give you a different answer. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think it's challenging your understanding of a situation and helping people create new neural pathways, you know, helping mm. them in some way, shape or storm, uh, some way, um, shape, um, uh, be able to be nimble and stay nimble. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Really paying attention and noticing, right. To what, what's going on in those moments. I'm wondering, cause you know, in part of your intro, it's around, you know, employee and organizational development. And you started out talking about performance and in my own experience as a professional with supervisors, performance, and sometimes profit, right. Or, or finances bottom line. And so I'm wondering in your work, without going to obviously into specifics or details, like what are those conversations around, you know, coaching is both human development and organizational development. Like how, how are you able to navigate that with someone who really has their sort of eye on performance in terms of bottom line? I'm wondering. It really depends on where the person is in the, com mm. the, the, per the other person in the conversation, right? Like okay. what their understanding is and, and trying to speak their language um, and understanding what their outcome wants to be and then working towards our outcome. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, you know, a, a employee as a better person um, and we mm. develop them individually brings all of that. And, and what we call in coaching is you're well aware their whole self to the yeah. job um, and, and whatever we can do to increase their abilities mm. individually contributes to the larger team. Yeah. And how, and how does that go over with most sort of, you know, leadership or sort of the upper echelon of organizations? I mean, are they open to that sort of rationale? Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, we're in an interesting stage of, of development and mm. kind of redefining, um, development and we all have to do more with less and mm. there is not enough individuals to fill the spots that are out there. And so we need to be able to not only help our, uh, employees in our teams grow, but also fill vast spaces of, of emptiness that is left with not a large enough workforce and the retention on that too, um, mm. because we know the cost to organizations to continue to churn and burn individuals and train them and get them up to speed. Um, so it really does come down to outcomes. Mm. It comes down to the bottom line, but you can get there in a, in a, a large array of, of 
of, of paths. Mm. Um, and so, you know, making sure that we're all speaking the same language and that we're working towards the same outcomes. Um, and then, you know, being able to get people there incrementally. I always like to say, you know, we have to meet people where they are both mm-hmm. from, you know, the training component, but also, also the people that are putting the dollars and cents behind those, um, training components. Um, yeah. and you know, those coaching components for that matter. Absolutely. Yeah. I laughed when you said that, because I feel like that's been such a through line as I've trained and taken these classes in coaching and thinking about being an educator, we're always saying you have to meet the learner, the person where they are in that moment, right? You just have to be in that space with them. So it's, it's good to know that that's true in organizations with leaders as well. So um, you mentioned speaking the same language, and I know my, our, our audience is going to think we're going to give them a vocabulary test at the end of this, because I'm wondering, you know, along the, the same lines of coaching, I feel like that word leader and leadership gets tossed around a lot, right? Some people have it as part of their title or part of their sort of identity. And some people are just leaders in a, in a role, in an organization, in a community, in their family. And so I'm wondering, how do you view leadership? Like, what's your definition? It does get thrown around a lot. Um, yeah. And it's a really good point. And then you have um, different terminologies with different organizations. So mm. I always like to ask them, you know, what are the levels of your organization, right? Do you have supervisors? Do you have frontline people? Do you mm. have managers? Do you have leaders? And then how do they define them? Mm. You know, my, my personal belief is that everyone in the organization is a leader. Um, you know, I go by the really old adage of be the change you want to see mm-hmm. and set the example. Um, and, you know, there's a, a simple book out there, How to Lead, but uh, the, the definition in there, and I'm not going to get it correct, but it's something around um, leaders make something happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise, right? Mm. And so I think of like somebody walking down the beach and there's litter everywhere and they start to pick it up. And then people start to see that person pick it up versus continue to walk past it. And they start to pick litter up. And then all of a sudden there is someone leading this group because that group felt that there's value with the person that's in front of them. Mm. And I think that's a true leader. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You, you are definitely a natural born coach because I, of course, when I ask you the question, your response is, well, I ask them what their definition of leadership is. You answer with a question, of course, right? So (laughs) for sure. It's ingrained. It is. It's ingrained. (laughs) I love it. Absolutely. But it does make sense, right? Because these terms like coaching and leader, there are just a multitude of definitions and understandings. And so why not ask the organization or the person, what do you think this means? Right. Again, another place to start. So it's a good reminder. Um, As I mentioned, you know, we're doing a fall series on leadership and we're calling it the paradox playlist and this notion that these seemingly sort of oppositional ideas, right. Our ability to sort of navigate these things can, can sort of can help us, right? To be able to hold multiple things that seem in opposition. We talked to um, a wonderful woman, Aiko Bathia, who is a leading DEI expert. And she really talked about, it's not really necessarily oppositional, it's just multiple narratives. And so I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned, you know, in in your own work, um, how you sort of work with leaders and organizations. I'm wondering, do you see in your coaching session, this idea of paradox and these you know, having to hold multiple narratives. Do you see that come up in your work? Yeah, I, so it's interesting. And 
in a lot of the leadership work that we do, um, people don't necessarily talk about like different narratives Mm -hmm. until you start to open them up to them. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing I think in coaching. And I think, you know, that's what coaching really does one-on-one with people is it helps create a safe space for them to not only just be reflective, but to expand their capacity, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and viewpoints. And I think, you know, it opens up this, this dialogue of, um, what is our definition of conflict? You know, what, what, what is the other side of it and be able to explore it? Because I think we are too saturated, like in general, right. Mm. Um, it's technology, it's, you know, our ability to, to move about, um, you know, (laughs) it's all of those pieces that kind of combine together that create this, um, oversaturation Mm. and we don't take time to be as reflective as we need to be. Mm. And I think that's where we're getting disconnected. Um, I don't want to like overshoot, but I honestly to our humanity. Mm. And so I think, you know, for me, why coaching in this moment um, in particular is so important is because it helps us to cultivate relationships in a way that not only help us support others, but to support ourselves. And, you know, making sure that we are taking this time, whatever the time that we have here, um, and using it to the best of our ability in the way that we want to use it. And you can go on autopilot so quickly um, with, with the flick of a switch and lose years. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not not even really know it. So um, I think, you know, there's there's this time and moment that we have now to, you know, say, hey, stop time out. Let's let's make sure the plan that we have in place is the right plan. Redesign that if you want. And, you know, consciously take steps forward um, to, to do what you want to do, how you want to do it. Mm. I took yeah. that into a huge area. Like, no, no, it's like, I'm trying, I'm, I know I'm trying to process this idea of saturation and I would just love to hear a little bit more, like what's your, and again, no specifics, but like, what's been your experience, um, with that? Like what makes you think it's, it's saturation in our, I, I don't disagree with you. Let, let me just say that first. I, I feel in many ways, the disconnect, you know, the disconnect and, sort of inability to notice. And I think, I don't know about you, Sonia, but the pandemic time has been this weird thing during the pandemic where I can't tell, well, especially when we were all locked down, like weekend, what is that, right? Like every day just ran into the the next day. And so I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit more to your experience with this idea of saturation, like what, what does that look like to you? And how have you, I don't know if broken the cycle is the right word, but like, how have you sort of, I don't know, like, get people to like pick their head up almost and notice those kinds of moments. I'm just curious. There's so many ways that we can yeah. <laughs> pick one, pick um, one. I know, I know, I know. Um, you know, I think um, let's talk about the pandemic for, mm. for a minute, because I think, I think people haven't taken enough time yet to really process what was that experience for them? Mm -hmm. What are the collective traumas that they experienced and how to process them? And I think honestly, most of us are still survival mode and we're not truly sure if it's over. 
Mm. right? There's these like incremental steps and there are some exhale moments, but we're still in it. Like everyone's like post or, you know, use this as saying, I'm like, we're in COVID times, like (laughs) in COVID times. Um, and you know, there's, there's, um, there's a uh, different uh, schools of thought, like in psychology, um, definitely um, in some positive psychology that I love to live in is that even the best of us, the most productive of us are floundering still mm. um, or have some floundering components. And it's a saturation of those collective traumas and they're defined differently for each one of us. We all experience them differently with our different roles. And, um, you know, taking, you know, the time to really evaluate what those were, give them weight, give them, um, you know, the time to be able to work through um, Mm -hmm. and not just sweep them under the rug and say, you know, I've survived that and move on. And, you know, then to start to open up what was closed, Mm -hmm. right, is almost like letting the floodgates open. And I know I am super guilty of, I'm like, every time something came up, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and now I'm saturated with like not enough time. And I feel overwhelmed by that. So it's just like one overwhelming moment after another. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Like I can see that. I, I have found it curious. I'm wondering if you've noticed the th- same thing, you know, when the, when the pandemic hit, for obvious important health reasons, we stopped, right? We, I mean, we literally stopped. We slowed down in the, in the, in the, I don't know, the most extreme way you could by stopping. Right. And then we slowly started to reopen and sort of test the waters. What I find really interesting is that as we move into whatever this post, you know, pandemic looks like, we're just going at it full board. Like there's no, like we're, I mean, you know, I just wrote a book that's coming out soon on transitions and I'm mm. shocked. I guess I'm not, I shouldn't say shocked. I just can't believe that like as, as, as hard as it was to pivot from not being in a pandemic to being a pandemic and some of the grace that we were able to give ourselves, we're not paying ourselves the same grace in returning. And I'm just wondering if you're seeing that with your clients and that struggle, it's just like, we're not because we're sort of in a kind of vaccine safer place. We're just supposed to pick up and go and we're almost going faster. I don't know what, what you think about that. I, I think I would agree with you. And I think most people would, would agree with that too. And they're not really able to kind of put their finger on it. Right. Like, mm. like what you're saying. Um, and, and so there, there is that need to, you know, just take an exhale moment, um, here and there and be able to, to be thoughtful, um, and, and be able to, um, you know, kind of take those pieces in, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's some dark times that we have just lived in and, um, recognizing that, you know, Mm -hmm. giving yourself, um, grief. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, people grieved, you know, the worst of like losing family members and friends, but, you know, there's, there's also grief of, you know, time with people and, Mm -hmm. you know, the grief of missing out on experiences and, you know, people started to weigh, you know, the different levels of grief. Well, you know what, if, if it's grief, it's grief. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to have a weight or a value to it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and giving yourself permission to have that grief period of time, Um, you know, I keep telling people there's a renaissance Mm. (laughs) of brewing, you know, um, (laughs) 
if you think about and and you know I, I don't know that it's at the depths of like the black plague era but that was on the yeah. the heels of that was a renaissance mm. and there is a a space that has happened you know between these collective traumas and what's next mm-hmm. and i think we all have a huge opportunity to fill that with a lot of compassion and civility and joy and turn a page into, you know, a new Renaissance. Mm, I just, that just made me take like a collective sigh thinking about not just a page, but a book, right? Like a Renaissance. That would be amazing. Amazing. I think because we are so attuned to the unknown now, Mm. we continue to not be able to ground ourselves And I think if we start to recognize these, these, these things that have happened and be able to work through Mm -hmm. that kind of grief process of what has happened and start to put a plan together to know that it will be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then be able to say, you know, do I want to like springboard here and move forward? And I get really excited about, um, you know, navigating through those pieces. Whole reason why my, um, my business is called gray space, because you get to play in that gray space. And I think we go from problem to solution Mm. and that's just how most of us are wired. Right. Yes. Yes. That's so true. Don't take enough time (laughs) in that like creative innovation space to be like, let's throw as much stuff on the wall as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the the students that come to our program, they're, they're, they're tasked with thinking about problems in their professional context and sort of working through that. And so often, Sonia, they come so quickly with an ill-defined problem and jumping immediately to a solution, right? Like there's just no, I'm like, just slow down, be with the the experience and be in that space to really think about it. So I was, I, the gray, the idea of gray space really resonated with, with me because um, what I like to talk about are those in-between moments, which is, is sort of similar, right? Just a different way to think about it. Um, totally. So I'm right there with you. So I think, I think I can pivot to my next question because it's kind of related. And so thinking about the pandemic and sort of, you know, taking stock, I feel like, and noticing, I'm wondering you know, for our listeners who are still getting their sort of understanding of coaching under their belt, like what does a session with Sonia kind of look like? You know, what, 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 what's your sort of style when you do your coaching with your either groups or individuals? So I ask a lot of questions, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can also be directive. It, so I, I have kind of a, a militant background, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> Ooh, tell me more. <laughs> well, I can be extremely directive, but mm. um, I wait for, for folks to, to invite that. But I am very, um, I am very visual in okay. how I approach things. It drives my husband nuts because he's like telling me measurements. I'm like, I got to see it, you know? <laughs> um, so I use a lot of metaphors and a lot of things to be able to kind of visualize or have people kind of really visualize um, components of, of what they're um, what they're talking about, what they're seeing, mm-hmm. how they want to move to the next um, place. And, you know, for me personally, I don't take enough space. And so I may even, you know, challenge my folks to take 
extra space, even if they usually do, just to sit and unpack and unpack and then unpack some more, Mm. just to make sure when we decide what we're taking with us on our trip, we have exactly what we want and and, and how we want it. The color, the shape, the size, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. Um, So I'm hoping that um, it's fun and it is um, you know, conducive to where people want to go, but we try to be, you know, goal setting and goal oriented mm. while we also, you know, make sure that we're taking looks at different places. Um, because I love the idea of like, if it's too, if our sessions are too, um, familiar, mm. um, are, you know, not, um, different enough, you haven't challenged yourself enough to go down that pathway. Like I want you, you know, taking out the machete and having to like (laughs) cut new pathways. Right. I don't want you to be like, Oh, look, here's a cobble and here's a cobble. And we'll Mm. step down the same way that I've been working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I have to say, that's my reaction to your description is that it's not surprising because I think I might be making this up, but I seem to remember Sonia, when we were paired together for one of the coaching sessions, our teacher, our professor was trying to get us to practice the skill of staying. And I remember, so for our audience, staying is really just what you described, like being in that moment for, you know, a little bit longer than you're comfortable and unpacking and unpacking. And I seem to remember Sonia, that you were so good. You just kept asking me questions about the same moment and just like tearing away piece by piece. And I have to say like, as a coach, that's, that's, I don't know about you. Cause you're, I think you're really good at it. That's hard, right. To keep a client in that same space. Cause it gets uncomfortable. They're like, can we just move on already? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the answer is absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, if it's too comfortable, then you're probably either doing the same thing over and over again. Yep. And we know that's what the definition of, um, or you're trying to skate it. Mm. And so we're not really going to get to, to the, to the root cause of what is causing issue or, um, you know, the, the real unresolved components of whatever the topic may be. Yeah. So I'm curious, I would not have used the word militant audience to describe Sonia. So I have to ask this next question, even though it's off script, (laughs) what's an example of a question you would ask a a client that you would say is militant? necessarily militant. I mean, like my, <laughs> my natural style is super direct. So like mm. that can be like militant okay. for, yep. for some folks. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, instead of asking a question, you know, I'll just be like, that sounds like, you know, you're putting up front or like, mm. you know, for, for our softer or our harder sided audience, like that sounds like BS. Like, are you BSing uh-huh. yourself? Mm. Are you BSing someone else? Or what's the real truth here? Um, you know, for you or for someone else, like I may drill in and be like, you know, we, we keep skating around something and let's just, what, what is it right here? I like that. So it's really, it's like, I like that idea of real truth. What's, what's the real truth here? I like that question. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, when we find, when we find that we're stuck and that's really what I try to tell people that are looking to, to coaching, like, what will that really help me with? It's like, 
are you stuck? You know, mm-hmm. is there unresolved components? Do you feel like you're trying to get somewhere that you can't, whether it's a relationship or a goal or, you know, the next level of your career or whatever that component is and you feel stuck? I really think that a trained professional in coaching is the person that may be able to assist you in being able to really take all of the levels of that and and just, you know, very um, or, you know, in, in a very organized manner, be able to walk you through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it really does link back to your first conception of coach, this idea in sports of the coach really paying attention to the player and looking for what they want out of this. Right. Cause I, I feel like a good coach, you know, recognizes that the client, the client already knows this is BS. Like, come on. Right. The client knows it, but the client won't call themselves on it, right? It takes the coach to say, what's going on here? And so I just, yeah, I really, I love that. I mean, you're really taking them to task in a really kind and sort of systematic way, which I really appreciate. So I'm wondering, I have to ask you, because I asked um, our coaches this summer, I want to know what your favorite coaching skill is. (sighs) I... (laughs) I love so many. Yeah. Um, we can pick more than one. You can, it doesn't have to be one. I, you know, I've already said that I'm very visual. So metaphors are kind of like my life. I, um, I use them in a a visual sense, but I use them in, you know, humor, um, to, to infuse that because, um, one of my tenants in life is if you're not having fun, why do it? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I, I love, uh, we use, you know, unattachment, like you really should stay mm-hmm. unattached um, so that you can, you can uh, really listen to hear and be able to be of service to, to your client and, and practicing that uh, as a coach actually helps you to, um, to do that in your regular life. And I find, you know, as a human being, yes, I am much more present <laughs> in what I do. Um, and so, you know, that idea of like being present and then, you know, being able to stay in a moment, um, mm-hmm. even if it's uncomfortable, um, has, you know, helped me be a better coach and, and a better person. That's probably the, like my top, um, couple and, you know, the unattachment, like, especially in your marriages and, you know, your siblings totally. and you're like, wait, I am, why am I so attached to this? Yes. And, and I remember a story one of my mentors told in a, in a coaching session about making crab soup. Right. And so mm-hmm. most of us on the East coast can, can, um, kind of, or, you know, clam soup or whatever. Yeah. And they had their family over and they were so agitated and all they want to do was have a great day, you know, Sunday with their family making crab soup. And they were, you know, getting more and more mad because it wasn't, the ingredients weren't going in the way that they would do it. And mm-hmm. the, you know, the systematic process. And uh, finally they said they had to coach themselves <laughs> And say, you know, this is why I'm doing this. And so all of a sudden they just released and stepped back. Mm -hmm. Guess what? The final product was still as good and they enjoyed themselves more. That's, I could not agree with you more. I mean, that unattachment piece has served me well, just in meetings with colleagues and at work, because I'll ask myself, I'll be like, Carrie, what, what is going on that you're just so attached to what that person is saying right now? Like, what is that about? Right. And then all of a sudden. I slowly, you know, become detached from it and it, you're right. It changes the perspective of that moment, which is really powerful. 
Like if nothing, if, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, that's like right. If, you're, if you're, if your teeth are grinding when something is happening or like the hair on the back of your neck is going up. Cause you're just like, Oh, I can't stand. Or you feel your hands reaching out yeah. towards someone because you want to shake them. Um, the first question I would ask myself is why am I so attached in this moment that's to right. be able to just diffuse? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The temperature rises is, is my, usually my detection that I'm getting too attached to something. So yes. Why yes. Is, is your face starting yep. to incrementally turn a crimson red? <laughs> yep. What is Note that about? Check, check, <laughs> right. check out what's going on. Totally. Totally. So you got to talk about your favorites. I also want to know what do you think's hard about coaching? I know, I know we're told to to make it easy, but what do you think, if anything, is hard about coaching? I think really taking someone to a place they've never been, mm. right? Um, because that takes us completely out of our comfort zone, mm. but is usually the most impactful. And I go back to what we know about, you know, a sports coach of like the person who's pushed us over any, you know, you know, particular line that we've never crossed before. And uh, I think that's where, you know, the bread and butter is, but it's so hard to get to. And um, I think uh, Michael Jordan was always one of my um, favorite players growing up. And he always said that he knew he had gotten to his, you know, pinnacle of his career when he stopped comparing himself to others and started setting his own bar and creatively, you know, moved that, that, that increment. And I think a really good coach sees where you're setting a bar and challenges you to go over it mm -hmm. or even experiencing different pieces. You know, another mentor of mine does a lot of public speaking and they were having difficulty and they're like, I feel like it's more difficult than it should be. And um, they were being coached and they shared that story with me. And the coach was like, you know, take an animal and just think about that animal and what are the characteristics and how do you, how will you embrace that um, and, and, and take that into, you know, your stage presence. Yes. And still to this day that they do that and they take this animal that they thought of and they, they use the, the, um, the positive components of that to, to really, mm. um, engage, you know, their, their, um, you know, I don't know, say, well, their, their particular yeah. um, presence, you know, presence and, and make it even better. That's cool. Yeah. And even, so even that, that notion of hard has huge payoffs, right? That hard is sort of, that's a paradox in itself, right? Cause there are so many benefits to, to those hard moments. It's funny that you mentioned that because when we were in class last week and I was coaching with a classmate who I absolutely just love and respect and we were coaching on, um, I was, we were talking about group coaching and I was sharing with her that I was I was getting ready to do a group coaching session and I was really nervous, like, like butterflies, nervous. And we were talking about it and, you know, of course, unpacking, unpacking, unpacking. And she finally said, you know, how could you reframe this, right? To think about it in a way that didn't make you nervous. And, and, and she asked me a few more questions. And what she asked me, Sonia, was what's important about this session to you? And I kept coming back to my, one of my um, core values, which is connection, and so we started talking about what if I went into this session, this thing that I think is going to be really hard, anticipating all of the connections I was going to make, right? Not worried about making a mistake or not being prepared, but being, and it's, you're right. It's like, it's just mind blowing, right? Like just that, 
that little shift that makes something not as hard as it, you know, it's, it shouldn't be hard. Like you said, if it's hard, why, why are you doing it? So, um, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering if you could sort of talk, I mean, we've, we've definitely unpacked it, this question already a little bit, but just maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, sort of, what do you see the benefits? What do you see as the benefits of coaching? And, and I guess the second piece of that related is, who do you think benefits from coaching? You know, I, the benefits of coaching are kind of, um, you know, only boxed in by mm. an individual. Mm. Um, I still go in by, you know, um, expectations and how much you put in it is how much you get out of it. Um, but, uh, you know, it really is about, navigating challenges, sometimes even crisis. Um, coaching is about um, expanding your own ability um, and, and consciousness um, and understanding of um, things. Um, and there, there is a part, we kind of hit on this a little bit earlier about, you know, navigating your own blind spots mm. um, and being open to that. And, and you know, generally capacity expansion Mm. Um, right for knowledge, capacity, um, you know, all of those pieces. And I think, you know, there is an ability to change the way you think and behave, um, based on your approach. Mm. And, you know, I, I go back to, you know, that, that definition of insanity, you know, you're going to continue to get the same thing over and over again. Um, and so if you are at a place where you're like, I'm not getting what I want, I think that's the time you bring in a coach. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought most, most people this summer jokingly said everybody can benefit from coaching. <laughs> so, and, and it is true, but I think you have to be open to it. And, you know, I had a really strange, um, and, 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 and fun experience. Um, one of my family members, which I did not want to coach, um, <laughs> came to me and, and they are a very entrepreneurial um, person and, and have a lot of things. And they're one of the examples of somebody that would um, be a, uh, a perfect person to talk about what happened in the pandemic and how, you know, they found themselves for the first time, very high achieving, performing mm -hmm. person, floundering really for Ooh. the first time in their life. And uh, I, I say, show up coach-like um, because um, they wouldn't go to anyone else because they, I was the only one that they would trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, we can all be really great coaches um, with the, the experience and ability that we have, as long as we have the other person's best interest at heart. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, help them define their own direction and not direct them um, so that you're not, you know, uh, mentoring versus uh, coaching them. But I think we can all do that. And I think the world needs it a little bit. I mean, there is, there is a need for more humanity and civility in, in, in our lives. Absolutely. I think the world needs it a lot. Let's just be honest. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could frame it this way. You can't have too much of this thing you're describing. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, yes. I don't think so at all. So, well, look, Sonia, this has been, uh, it was, it was as good as I imagined it would be. So I'm so thrilled that you were able to come on. I know you're a very busy woman with a family and a career. 
Um, I did want to, we always, I always ask um, this last question to guests and that is, you know, is there anything else you want to share that either I didn't ask you or that we didn't touch upon that you just wanted to share with our audience? You know, I, I got into training and development um, over 20 years ago because I love to see how things work mm-hmm. and I like to help make it better um, or help other people figure out how they work so that they can make it better. Mm-hmm. And um, I got into coaching because I really wanted to support others where I've been supporting organizations and mm-hmm. larger entities, right? So I hope that, you know, if you don't take anything else away from today, that you are not only important, but you are important to others and Mm -hmm. you can support others' well-being. And I think um, where we're at in this moment in time, I think we collectively move each other forward. And so I would just challenge each of us, um, you know, each day, you know, the rest of this week and even um, this month to to take it forward, um, pay something forward to someone, take interest um, you know, take take the moment to, to check in with someone that you haven't checked in with because that support could take them over a hump that you are completely unaware of. Mm, that's so nice. And so coach like to leave us with a couple of accountabilities, right? I heard a couple of accountabilities <laughs> during this, this interview, which for, for audiences who aren't familiar with that term, it's essentially like coaching homework, basically. <laughs> yes. So, so just to recap, one tip from Sonia was to notice when you're attached to something, your, your body temperature rises, you want to reach out and strangle somebody or, or you're just having a really visceral response. The next thing is, and I love this message that you, everybody is important and everybody is contributing in a meaningful way. And so the second accountability is to pay it forward and specifically maybe reach out to that person you haven't had a chance to connect with early. So Sonia, thank you for the two homework assignments and all of the wonderful takeaways. It really has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for what you do. And I've really appreciated getting to know you and working with you more and more um, this year. So thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. This has been another episode of Tell Me This. I am your host, Carrie Borkowski. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. So sincere. Oh, mm-hmm.